In the coming weeks, we are coming to a time period known by many things. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, Passion Week. But what led to this monumental moment, this turning point in the world of Christianity, if you will? Let's talk about that today on the Midweek Meeting. Hello, welcome to the Midweek Move, podcast extension of The Healing Places, the podcast where we examine scriptures line by line, verse by verse, and ask ourselves, what is happening here? And today, ladies and gentlemen, I'm super excited because we are joined uh, by my good friend, one of the elders here at The Healing Place, Mr. Carlos Renfro. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, Dallas. How are you, bro? I am excited today, my man. I, I love going through the Word. I love going through the Word with you. Absolutely. And, uh, man, we're, we're going to be walking through some stuff for the next couple of weeks leading up to... Uh, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So important, you know, even in these times with a lot of our traditions and things that we that we observe in the church, it's so important to understand scriptures in its context when it comes to this stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's so much happening right now where people are actually trying to erase the history of what took place in the early church. Yeah. And this is, a, this is legitimately a monumental moment that took place in our faith. Yeah, yeah. And um, everything in the Old Testament led to this moment. Yes. And this was the catalyst for so much that took yeah, place. It's almost like the hinge of the plan of God and, yeah. and, and what's happening in these in these leading up to this time. Absolutely. Now, um, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be bouncing around. Uh, traditionally, we've been going through whole books of the Bible. Uh, for this portion, this conversation we wanted to have for this, this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, whatever you want to call it, season, um, we're going to look at certain portions of this of the story from different books of the Bible. Yes, and and this is on purpose. Uh, I have this book in my library, and it's probably one of the most used books I, I use. It's called the Harmony of the Gospels. Yes, and it lines up the scriptures of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together, so you see the full story. And that's the thing that people need to remember and realize that Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John, they are in harmony together. Yes, they but are. they bring different perspectives, different purposes, and different aspects to it to ha- have a wider range. And so, what we've tried to do is we're trying to look at this story leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection through the eyes of these different writers. Yes. And so today, we're going to be looking at the story through the eyes of Luke. Now, Luke, was you guys have you've watched our, our series on the Book of Acts, which if you haven't, I encourage you to go check that out. There is a playlist on YouTube for you guys of our story of our conversation on Acts. He was a um, he was a, a educated gentleman. Yes, a physician. A physician. Um, he was very much about the facts and knowing what was this and what was that, and he uh, was very detailed yes. in his writings. And so that's the perspective we're going to get today. He was not a he was not a disciple. Nope. He wasn't an apostle. He was a man who came and investigated third party after everything had taken place. And so that's that's where we're at. That's where we're, we're going with. And so we're going to be starting in, in chapter 22. Uh, now, my Bible uh, has uh, different titles for subsections. Uh, this one's called The Plot to Kill Jesus. And uh, this is where things get wild for us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and just jump into it, starting in verse 1. Now, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. Now, it's important that Luke is, is bringing this out because it's part of that whole aspect of him explaining the Jewish traditions to a person who's not a Jew. Yes. And uh, now, what is Passover 
uh, Carlos? Well, Passover goes all the way back to the book of Exodus and the deliverance of the children of Israel right. from the bondage of Egypt, and it was associated with the last plague. Right. Um, it was given that God would come through that land, that place where they were all living, and he was going to take the lives of all of the firstborn in each household. And in order to avoid that strict judgment, Israel was given specific instructions on how to prepare the household. This is where the imagery of the Lamb of God comes into play. Right. The blood, the doorposts, and all of these things were to allow the households of Israel to escape that and that that death would pass over their household mm. and they wouldn't have to suffer the same judgment of those that were outside. Exactly, exactly. And so this Passover meal they're doing, this is an all in remembrance of this moment, this, this pinnacle portion of the Jewish history. Starting in verse 2 now, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, Jesus being him, and they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. Now he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in, uh, in the absence of the multitude. All right, what just happened here? Carlos. All right, so now this has been going on for a while now. The the Pharisees and the chief priests, the religious leaders at that time, they weren't happy with Jesus' ministry at all. Right. And they've been looking for their opportunity to do something about it. They've exhausted their means of 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 not getting people to follow Jesus. At every turn, he's thwarting their efforts and people are following Jesus. So mm -hmm. now the opportunity comes around for them to try to secretly in, a, in an underhanded fashion, take Jesus out, find a way to accuse him, and have him killed. Right. And he even said right there that they feared the people. Right. So that lets you know that Jesus had a substantial following, right. that there were people that regarded him as a prophet, that were following him and said that his words, his words are true. So right. it seems like they taken advantage of Judas's disposition. Like, mm -hmm. we got a guy on the inside. Right. We got a way that we can deal with this. And as, and as we go through this, we'll see that it kind of had the, the scales weighted already. Right. They kind of already had an opportunity to have Jesus accused and tried and 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 taken care of, right. so that they can get him out of their way, out of 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 their their workings in the religious and and even in the political realm here and where they found themselves in in in, in Israel. Absolutely, I do think it's interesting that the 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 betrayer is it's Judas, and and Luke makes her go. This is one of the twelve. Yeah, this is one of the guys that was that walked with Jesus. And honestly, it saddens me hearing the story about Judas, because this is a man that walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus feed the multitudes. That miracles took place. All these things. Yet something took place where he did not guard his heart. Yeah. And allowed himself to be corrupted. Now we know this had to happen. Yes, this was prophesied that this was going to be happening, but it's still a sad thing to me. Oh yeah, he that, had every opportunity that the rest of the twelve had, mm -hmm. and yet still, this what happened in his life. Uh, sorry, let's pick up back up in verse seven. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed, being the lamb for preparation and everything. And he went, uh, and he sent Peter and John, saying, "Go and prepare the Passover for us, uh, that we may eat." And they said to him, "Where do you want us to prepare?" And he said to them, 
Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, following him, uh, follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room uh, there, uh, make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Isn't that convenient? Jesus, <laughs> make, Jesus makes reservations, man. <laughs> it's just like he's like, yeah, this is going to happen. I, I kind of wonder what it was like for the disciples when they were, they were listening to Jesus. They've had him do stuff like this already. Yeah. And he, they're like, okay, say what? He he did what he did with the Colton when they when they entered Jerusalem. Right. He's like hey, he's like hey, you're gonna go down here. There's right. gonna got there's gonna be a guy who has a cult that's never been ridden. You're gonna go in there and you're just gonna tell him that the Lord has need of it. He's gonna <laughs> let you have his animal and just roll on. Here's this guy somewhere somewhere in Jerusalem with an, with a furnished ready upper room for him, <laughs> and here, he's gonna take. And you have to also um you have to also quantify this with the idea I was just reading in Deuteronomy. It, it's when you go back into the law of Israel, how they were taught to deal with strangers and people that were travelers and mm-hmm. people that were passing through right. an area. So it's not completely unheard of for you to approach somebody and say, hey, we we need somewhere to lodge, and they'd be accommodating to this. Right. But Jesus points out specifically, this guy's going to be walking through, he's going to be carrying a water pot. He already has a spot ready for it. It's already furnished and ready for it. I right. wonder what this dude was going to do with this room before these guys showed up. Right? <laughs> like, why is this furnished? Well, like, it was a way for his grandparents to show up or something right. like that? Yeah, well, what were they going to do? <laughs> like, well, well, we were going to have our Passover feast here, but I guess it's yours now. <laughs> I heard somebody do a teaching once years ago. And it was a they're they're allegorizing the story. This is not a biblical principle. It's allegorizing the idea of having a place ready for the Lord. Yeah, being prepared, having a guest room ready to go for when the Lord shows up to be there. Uh, now there's a conversation about you know this Lord a guest or is you know habitating everything like that. But there is an aspect of being prepared. Yeah, to receive. Yeah, and um, and again that's this is a spiritual allegory. I'm not saying this is what the Bible is saying. But there is an aspect of being ready to receive. Yeah. And yeah. that's what this guy was ready to receive somebody. Mm-hmm. And what the turning point was when these guys came to him, they said, the teacher is in need. Uh, the, the, and when they said teacher, they would have said the rabbi, the rabbi. which in that yeah. culture, it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. The, the rabbi, he's, yeah. he's here. He wants this. And someone of spiritual prominence and someone that has disciples, has followers, people right. that are following his teachings. Yeah. This was an honor for this guy to yes. house these people. So it's, it's really interesting there. All right. So continue on verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles uh, with him. Then he said to them, uh, with, uh, oh, can't read my Bible, uh, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you or with you before I suffer. I'm going to pause right there because it's the vocabulary, fervent desire. I have desired. This is a, this is a desire of his heart. This is something he's longing to do. It's a passion. It's a passion of his to do life with these men. These were his brothers. These were guys that he walked with. These were his disciples. And he knew it was coming. Yes. And he, this, to me, this speaks to the humanity of Jesus. He knew it was coming, yet he still goes like, I just want one more moment of peace in laughter. Some people, we picture the scene right. and we look through it the lens of, we know what this is. This yep. is the last supper. Yeah. And so we see it through this dim, gloomy light. 
But for the 12, this was another day. Yeah. And this was a moment of, of peace and celebration. We, we, uh, we've done Seder meals here before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're about to have one here at the Healing Place actually here in, uh, next week. But it's, it's a time of laughter yep. and joy. There's, there's, there's events for children to do. This is a joyous moment. No doubt they've done this before together. Exactly. And Jesus is going, I am excited to have one more moment of peace, of laughter and joy with you, my brothers. He's soaking in this moment. It speaks to his humanity, but it also speaks to the to the to the outlook of what type of mindset he had in in time of trouble. And I kind of want to reflect on that myself. Mm-hmm. Like when when things are difficult for me, when I know there are things over the horizon, does my mind turn toward the things of God and the fellowship of God's mm. people? Like his his first thought with such with so much gravity in front of him right with so much seriousness we're talking about the culmination of the plan of god right and him having to deal with flesh and humanity and the infinite god having to taste death and his idea before i go through this is i want to be with the ones that i love my disciples right the one that i share spiritual life with and, and i've handed down the the instructions and the will of the father to yeah. you know and that makes me think when things are difficult for me, do I do I want to steal away or do I want to be with the people of God? Yeah, and that's a very that's a very rich, mature spiritual place to be at mm-hmm. when you look at how Jesus portrays this. Yeah, yeah, that's an important aspect of being away or being with with people of God. Yeah, that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to get away. Yeah, and there's times for us to get away. Yeah, Jesus, you know, uh, after the the death of John John the Baptist. Jesus was looking to get away, right. to grieve, and to to heal, but he still stayed with the community at the time. Right. But in this moment, he needed community. Yeah, and there's a difference between between having time by yourself and with God and isolation. There's a difference. That's the Bible it. says that someone that isolates themselves seeks their own way. Right. You know, but there's a difference between reflection and time with God and isolation. And mm-hmm. this was this was a time where there were serious things that were on the horizon, but mm. in order to help strengthen himself toward the plan of God, he used the people of God that were around him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ooh, verse 16, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave to to them saying, "This my body which this my is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me." Likewise, he took the cup after supper saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of the betrayer is with me. Let's pause right there. Let's, let's rewind this. Here. Okay. All right. Um, what what just took place in these few verses right here? What do we generally call this? <laughs> well, we generally, 
we think of this as the Lord's Supper. Uh, we right. generally in the New Testament church use this as an opportunity for communion. Right. He tells us to do this as members of him. And it's, it's become an ordinance in the church that we do this as a reflection of what Jesus did and as a method of fellowshipping with the body and the blood of Jesus in a time of remembrance of the gravity, how how important this is. Right. And he said to do this um, often and remembrance. I mean, it was an important staple even in the early church. Right. It's that this time of 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 communion. Mm. There's a lot that has to do with this in the, in the New Testament. Absolutely. Now, I heard a teaching once about this situation, and this is, uh, again, this is taking place during the Seder meal. And it's interesting because he says uh, that he will not drink of this cup again. And uh, in the Seder meal, there's four cups that take place. And um, the fourth one is supposed to be, and I'm, I, I, I'm afraid I'm going to misremember this. I'm going to remember this incorrectly. So I apologize to, to future me for getting it wrong <laughs> if I do. And those of you know better, but there's an aspect of the fourth cup of the Seder being about the eternal kingdom of God. Yes. And um, a lot of people believe that this was the third cup of the Seder mm-hmm. meal. And so Jesus saying, I will not take the third cup. I will not partake again of the fourth cup until it is all done. Yeah. Until the, we are restored in new heaven, new earth, and uh, in, in new Jerusalem, if you will. And so there's a lot of interesting prophetic things taking yes. place even in this moment going forward. And even then when he's talking to the, to the disciples then, and I'm thinking in the mind of a Jew when he gives them this cup and said this is, this cup represents his blood and a new covenant. Mm. You know, what's going through their mind, understanding right. the covenant and the and the sprinkling of the mercy seat and the sprinkling of the blood on the on the book of the law, which right. is the covenant of Moses, yeah. and them understanding that. I wonder what's running through their mind when he's like, he said, this blood is a new covenant. Mm. You know, there had to be some wheels turning and some questions <laughs> in the minds of the disciples at the time. Right. And what's interesting is, you know, the whole aspect of the covenant was that, you know, it's an agreement between parties. And normally both parties have to do something. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament covenant that, that the Jews lived under, it was a covenant made by God, and he did it himself. Yes. Abram didn't have to do nothing for it. God did it. And in the same way, Jesus is doing this for us. We have no role to play in, in redemption here other yes. than accepting his salvation, his grace. Yes. What we're about to discover over the next several weeks of, of this reading is he walked this path. There were people involved, Yeah. but he walked it. He did, absolutely. So He drank that cup. <laughs> All right, uh, back over here to verse 21. But behold, the hand of the betrayer is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they begin to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this. <laughs> what do you think it was like at the table at this moment? That I imagine initially that had to be quiet chaos, and then and then they had to, you know, in in the parts of gospel said they began to kind of converse among themselves, mm-hmm. so it became eventually, you know, out loud chaos. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you got to think about everything Jesus has said up until this point, right, has come true. Right. Elvinta, I mean, they, they're up there because Jesus told them to go find some random guy out with a water pot, <laughs> and this is how this is how we're going to have the Passover feast. Right. So everything Jesus said is true. Right. And so they've watched this guy calm storms and cast out demons and heal sick and raise dead. So when he says something like that, you've got to know that 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 he's telling the truth. Yeah. And now now there there are thirteen of us up in this room, and one of them one of them's a snake. Yeah. 
you know. <laughs> I mean, this, the 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 stuff that's going through their minds had to have been crazy. And we, and we see kind of continue on verse 24. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them uh, should be uh, considered the greatest. So they know they're, they're mad. This is so fleshly, man. They know that their, their betrayer was with them, but now they're like, well, at least it wasn't me. I'm the greatest. Like there's this dispute yeah, now right, yeah. about who's going to be the best. In verse 25, he says this, the king of the Gentiles exercised leadership over our lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is the greatest among you, let him be the be as the younger, and he who is, governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves but you are the are those who have continued with me in my in my trials and i bestow upon you a kingdom as my father bestows one upon me and you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of israel okay what's happened here just now well, here they're they're bickering about who's the greatest, and if you read, you can even go back to Matthew's gospel in mm-hmm. the, in the Beatitudes in Matthew five six and seven. He does a lot of this, right. where he begins to contrast the way that people think in the world and the way that the kingdom of God really is. And here they are, they're bickering about who's the greatest and who's you know who's who's the best among them. He's like, wait a minute, this is the way Gentiles think. But here in my kingdom, mm-hmm. this is the way it works. And he talks about the ability to be a servant is what puts you ahead in the kingdom of mm-hmm. God. The ability regarding as being somebody that is humble and serves others, that is what that is what the kingdom of God is about. Uh, years ago, I was taking up a job um, at a tech center. I was hired to be a, a manager to help run a tech center for a software company. And one of the guys who was there running, running, who was hosting and housing this tech center, God considered a professional mentor. It's a, and it's a good Christian man. And he, we were sitting in his office. We were kind of laying out the plan for this thing. And he was like, he's like, the people that work in the center, he said, they'll follow you if you serve them. Mm. He's like servant. He's like servanthood. Leadership is always servanthood, right. and that never departed from me. Yeah. And that's a lesson that they had to understood because their mentality, as he contrasted it, was almost a Gentile mentality yeah. of people having lordship and exercising authority and benefactors. But he's like, look at me. Mm-hmm. Here I am. I'm the son of God. Here, here, here I am operating as a Messiah, mm-hmm. and there, there's no one higher than. than you want to talk about the one that's being served at the table. I'm him. Right. And he said, but look at me. Here I am. Right. And I'm here serving you. Right. And I'm here serving the earth and serving the Father's will. And this is where the conversation about the harmony of the Gospels comes up. Because in the par- a parallel passage of this, this whole thing starts off with Jesus washing their feet yes. as they come in. Yes. And they're they're dismayed by this idea. It's like, why are you washing our feet? Now, for us as, as 2023 individuals, I mean... I be thrown off because that's weird. I don't want people touching my feet. Right. But it was more distraught for them because that was the task of the lowest servant in yes. the household. Sometimes the punishment for a servant right. was that the, their job was to be the one that had to wash yeah. the feet. And yet here Jesus was serving them, doing the grossest thing ever. Because, I mean, they, they didn't have shoes. They didn't have hocus. 
No, they, didn't they, have, didn't. they have New Balance. No. They were barefoot, some sandals maybe. Yep. And, the, and they were not clean streets. Right. They didn't have paved roads. <laughs> <laughs> somebody stepped in some nasty stuff on yes, the way they in. Did. And somebody had to clean it up. And there Jesus was taking that moment, serving them from the lowest position on. Yes. He says this is, and and not only that, but this is not just a, this is not just an act, but this is a reflection of the heart of God. Exactly, to serve people no matter what. All right, woo, let's keep going. Verse thirty-one, and the Lord said, uh, "said Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked uh, for you, and may sit, I uh, may uh, sit you at." Sift you as wheat. I can't talk today, guys. I apologize. We got it. We got it. <laughs> but I have prayed for you that you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, my strength uh, uh, to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now, Simon, of course, is Peter. Yes. And Jesus is like, hey, look, you're going to say some dumb things. Yep. Something's going to come down, and, and it's going to happen. But when you return to me after you've, you've walked away, I want you to strengthen your brethren. He's, he's, before it happens, he's going, I know it's going to happen, but when you're, when you're done with the season, it's time for you to do some great stuff. And here, he, being, being Simon, being all cocky, yep. I, I go to prison and back for you, man. I'm not going to walk away. And I think that's why it's so important that he put that qualifier, you know, once you return. Right. Because you imagine where his mindset would have been. Because that, it, knowing what he was going to go through, he knew that, that phrase was going to open a door for hope for him to come back to where he's supposed to be. Right. Exactly. Verse 34. And then he said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. I mean, that's at, at, in this moment, first off, I got to wonder how many disciples went, is he the betrayer? Yeah. <laughs> and we don't, and we don't have a recorded response from Peter. I think he says this. <laughs> but this moment of him going, you're going to deny me three times. And I know you are. Yeah. I know this is going to happen. But when you're done with this season, it's time for you to do some work. Yeah. Regardless, no matter what's going on. To me, that that speaks to the the heart of God and how we should perceive people. How quickly do we write people off? Right. How quickly do things not go right in relationships or in whatever atmosphere and in an outer protection for our own heart that we distance ourselves and say, "Nope, done with that." Mm-hmm. You know, here, 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 here is Jesus not only exposing Himself to a person in the room that's going to portray them betray him to death but also another person in the room not, they don't know there's two separate people another <laughs> person in the room is going to betray him relationally right and he understands that and he's he's willing to leave space for redemption yeah and then that doesn't make that doesn't mean be a doormat but that does mean that there's redemption right. and that jesus models that because without forgiveness what is the kingdom exactly it's barren that's yeah. what the kingdom is so man Verse 35, now he said to them, when I sent you without uh, money, bags, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said, nothing. Then he said to them, but now he who has money has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garments and buy one. Or, I'm sorry, without a sword, go buy one. 
For I say to you that uh, this which is written must still be accomplished in in me. And he was and he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. All right, what's happened here? Well, now Jesus is like, hey, this thing's about to turn. <laughs> so as as you go back previous in the book of Luke, when he sent out the 70, he didn't send them with anything. Right. And God provided for them what they need in order to proselytize the gospel and spread his message as, as his disciples. And he's like, we're about to end into another season. And they don't know that they're going to kind of do the same thing. He's like, right. but... But this is this is this time is more serious, and mm-hmm. this time there's actual physical danger involved, and and he's given them permission to be prepared for that. Right. And apparently they were already ahead of the game a little bit because they had a couple of swords with him. He yeah. said good. He said good enough. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He was preparing them. He's like, look, you know, things are going to be. They've been having it pretty easy up to this point. Yeah. And here in a little bit, it was going to be rough. Mm-hmm. They were going to need prepared. There's a. We struggle in in some of our charismatic circles. Uh, people just they mistake foolishness for faith. Yeah, and they think, "Well, I don't need to prepare for anything." Jesus will take yeah, Jesus will take care of you, but yeah. you need to have some wisdom about you. Yeah, and here Jesus is saying, "Hey, have some wisdom, guys. You guys need to be prepared because there's gonna be some rough times." Right. I will provide for you. Yeah, but you need to walk in wisdom. And speaking of of the time there earlier in this book when he commissioned the 70, um, they came back super excited and zealous. And he was like, hey, don't rejoice in these things, but rejoice that your that your names are written in heaven, not just because the demons are doing what you're telling right. them to do. And I believe that that was a shadow of the times that they were getting ready to enter to now because it's not always going to be this easy. You're not always going to go out there and the demons right. going to do what you tell them do they're not always going to do what you tell them to do right and you're not always going to have these areas of victory but you need to have an eternal root and eternal grounding right. about your relationship and your ministry and remember what we're doing this and what we're doing and why we're doing this um because there's there's times where it's going to be serious and it's not going to be happy go lucky it's not going to be hunky dory exactly. but you still need to keep your mind on the mission and your heart right right absolutely so good well here in a minute i'm going to ask you carlos to give us your final thoughts in this section that we've read there's so much more that took place in the book of luke and i want to encourage you guys go back and read this whole passage we're going to continue this conversation in a different book next week and but we want to hear from you guys what are your thoughts on what we've, what we've already said today how's this challenged you how's it started out stirred up inside of you reach out to us media hub at teachbeastreport.com or you can check out our Facebook page. Just look for Midweek Move. We pop up pretty easily. So that being said, Carlos, what are your final thoughts about today? Well, my final thoughts about today was is knowing that there are going to be times in in life, in ministry, and relationships where things can get can get a little dark. And things can make a turn for what feels like it's the worst. Right. But we have to remember that God's plan, he sees far ahead. Mm. And Jesus is in a place here where he sees far ahead. He's already he's already able to see the resurrection of the from the tomb, and he hadn't even gotten to the cross yet. Right. So as a leader, he's able to bring them step by step, word by word, even prophecy and encouragement. And the, the supper and all of these things, preparation for what they need to buy, and mm-hmm. still prepare them for what they're about to go through. Right. And it's their job to take heed to that. It's their job to pay attention to that. 
pay attention, to have discernment, and to follow the words of the master, to take those things in and to keep them with them because there's going to be a time where they're not going to feel like he's with them at all. Right. And they need to remember that. Absolutely. And they need to be able to hold on to what's already been said. Right. And that's what's going to bring them through the death, the burial, and then the in the in the subsequent resurrection where the hope actually displays itself. But they're not there yet. Right. So it's gonna be dark. Yeah. But you need to be able to hang on to the words of the master even when it gets dark. Absolutely. So good. Mine is kind of along the same route, man. Of you know, Jesus, he's already there. He sees everything. So we just need to trust him. Yes. And that's hard to do. That's yeah, difficult to do. Which is I think is why it was also so important for the fact this all began in community at this last supper yes in in this and the seder meal that took place here he was preparing them not just to uh walk this out but to walk it out together yes we have got to be in community in fellowship if we isolate ourselves the enemy wins yes he does and he will kill us in the darkness that was the problem with judas in my opinion if judas had confided Hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I'm dealing with. These are the thoughts. Jesus, why do you do it this way? Why are you this way? I feel like there would have been a shift that took place. And we're going to talk a little bit about Judas next week. But I feel like that that was part of the isolation, that yeah. isolation that he had put himself. Isolation among a group. Yeah. He isolated himself in a community. Yeah. And it brought death. Yeah. So... Those are our thoughts. What are your guys? Reach out to us again, mediahub at thbstreetport.com or find us on Facebook, Midweek Move. Until next time, have a great week.